podcast. I really hope you like it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West. And as always, I really hope you like it. Got a great show for you today. You are going to love my guest today. So hilarious and uh, had a blast talking with him. Uh, But first, I got to say, we've had some new music released, new music videos. And specifically, I just want to say thank you guys so much for all the support, for rallying around uh, the music that I put out into the world, specifically the What If music video, which was so much fun to create. I jumped out of a plane for you. So if you haven't seen that music video, I went skydiving for the first time and I lived to tell about it. So go to my YouTube page and make sure you get a chance to watch me risk my life all for the sake of an awesome music video. So we had a blast doing that. But, you know, jumping out of a plane was really just an illustration for the bigger message of that song. And it's going to be a highlight, a focus, um, a focal point for this podcast throughout the summer. We're making this the summer of no what ifs. It's about living the one life we get, and making sure we reach the end of our race with no regrets and no what-ifs. First and foremost, in our relationship with the Lord and also in our relationships with others around us and just how we're living our lives. No regrets, not putting off to tomorrow what can be done today. Like the old Tim McGraw song says, live like you're dying, right? And so we want to live our lives with no what-ifs. On that note, the final episode of every month is your episode. I take your calls. I hear your stories. And specifically, I'm wanting to hear from you. I want you to share with me how you're making this a summer of no what-ifs or just how you're approaching your life to make sure that you have no regrets. So call the podcast hotline. I'd love to hear from you and maybe feature your call. Tell me your name, where you're from, and how you're making sure that you've got no what ifs. Call 601-301-2208. That's 601-301-2208. That's the Matthew S. Podcast Hotline. Operators are not standing by, but you can leave a message. Looking forward to hearing from you. All right, let's get to today's show. My guest is a world-class comedian. He does over 300 shows a year, which means he is awesome. But before that, he was actually a youth pastor, which must be where his sense of humor originated, right? You got to have a sense of humor in that job. Uh, This guy has his first ever Amazon Prime television special called Overwhelmed, which I highly recommend. He's got a podcast that he does with his wife called Don't Make Me Come Back There. Uh, This guy's hilarious, and you're going to love this conversation. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with Dustin Nickerson. I'm not in basketball shorts, but I'm in kind of the equivalent, the Nashville equivalent, like sweat shorts, hipster. Sure. Uh, I was the reason why I'm later than you is because I was I literally texted my wife this message about to do a podcast interview. So don't call or text or come into the studio. But I love you <laughs> because she has she has this uncanny ability to like literally the minute I get into a, a great part of a conversation. She's like, honey. And I'm like, Yeah. So I have to let that her know. Sounds so grim. I don't know what, <laughs> when the way you said that just read to me. Like, I, I, to me, anything that signs, but I love you, sounds like the plane is going down. Well, 
you're trying you're trying to be a real you're you know you're being I'm, i what i had to do though in that what i'm trying to get at is i had to cover all the bases like don't call don't text because the beep will happen and because normally she'll call and then she'll text or no she'll text that i don't know it's one of those and then the third is knocking on the studio door so I just I'm I'm sorry for being so grim, but now I'm making it sound like she's stalking me. She's highly independent. <laughs> <But> <laughs> hey, it's great to meet you. You as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. So this morning I was listening to the latest thing you posted on YouTube, and uh, it was about uh, eating healthy, or it was or the choices in life, <laughs> or being happy. <laughs> and I was like, I think he and I could be friends because when you started talking about thin mints. <laughs> I was like, all right, we could be friends. We don't even have to say a word to each other. I, I would imagine us sitting in the same room and eating an entire sleeve of thin mints, which you gave a different name to. <laughs> right. Yeah. The I don't you don't just stop with one. You 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 combine them into a super thin mint, which is referred to in our home as a thick mint. Thick mint. <laughs> and it's uh <laughs> yeah, I posted that. That was a, a bit of an older joke, but like I posted it, and that that also had my a reference to my affinity for blizzards in it. Which I don't know if you know this, but they have become one now. Dairy Queen has released a thin mint blizzard. Are you kidding me? <laughs> is it now? Is it everything you dreamed? Of? Have you tasted it? Oh, and and more so. Yeah, wow. it's one of those things that uh, you just you don't want anyone around while you're having it because of the shame. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I don't. It's me in the blizzard. Oh. <laughs> I don't need to share this with anyone. So you're not. There's ashamed. no shame. <laughs> There's no, 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 no. It tastes better alone. It just. It tastes better. It's just a special moment for you, and you just need to be by yourself. Yeah, maybe I just need some breaks from my children because <laughs> that did that sounded grim in its own way. Like, don't talk. Just let me have that it. seems like a commercial that you should write for Dairy Queen, which is the parent escaping, saying they're running errands and then they're just sitting in the parking lot, like indulging in that. Girl yes. Scout blizzard. Yeah. And it's the equivalent of like the old stereotype of, you know, a guy comes home with a woman's lipstick on her, on his, on <laughs> yes, his collar yes. and you come home with Butterfinger <laughs> blizzard crumbs. Where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> Have you been, have you been dairying without me? That's like a that's that would be a cousin commercial to uh, Jake from State Farm. What are you wearing? You, or yeah, like, you know what I mean? absolutely. That whole like uh, suspicion of uh, of cheating or infidelity. Yeah, but it's cheating on your children is definitely getting ice cream without them. <laughs> so, do they have all of the Girl Scout cookies are into the blizzards now, or is it just Thin Mint? It's just Thin Mint. I do know, I my my wife brought these home. Uh, the uh, It's so funny, I don't know the actual, the Keebler Elves. What's the actual name of that company? Well, <laughs> is it, it's the, Keebler, right? Is it just Keebler? Okay, it's so funny, I've never I known. I think it is. I just know, I just go, you know, the Elf. Uh, but they have a, <laughs> uh, a Samoa oh. ripoff. Which I was highly skeptical of, and it's uh, it's the exact same. It's delicious. It's so, delicious. Okay. So, but the, as far as the blizzards go, it's just that one, and then a bunch of new flavors too. But I don't know about the new flavor shit because now that it's thick mint, that's my whole world. That's your whole world, and and since we're starting with this, I mean, first of all, now I'm hungry, so we may have to pause this interview at some point. But you do make the case that there's two options in life, and that is being healthy 
or being happy. Is that what it was? <laughs> eating, healthy eating healthy or or being happy. There's no in between. Uh, I think with dieting, I think that is true. And I think uh, as someone who has been heavier and, and smaller and have lost weight and, and all of the above, I think that, yeah, I mean, in our hearts, we know that's true. We know that that will make me happy. And that will make me healthy. Yes. Just having that, once you just get rid of any of the of the lies surrounding that, yeah. it's actually very, very helpful. <laughs> it's actually healthy. <laughs> Are you, so you're a sweets guy like me then? Absolutely. Yeah, you're the same. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I tend to, this, now this is not healthy, but I will work out to then justify what I'm, what I'm, my wife made this peach cobbler for Father's Day, and it's still like, it is still fresh in my memory. And then it sat in the refrigerator, which then, you know, the spoon's dipping in when nobody's looking. And then I just go run an extra mile or something like that. But the older you get, the less that actually, the less that math works. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't care. <laughs> but. <laughs> The cobbler one is tricky because cobbler also kind of you could pass off as a breakfast the next day. <laughs> okay, now I know I like you. <laughs> you With certain desserts, you're like, I have to finish this now <laughs> because otherwise it's going to – I just – I need to do the damage today. Otherwise, this is going to be a lingering effect throughout the next few days. Boy, that's a great point. I, I, I promise we will talk about more than food on this interview. Um, I, it doesn't matter but to I me. Do have, <laughs> one, one more thing that we had in common is you – have great disdain for the oatmeal raisin cookie genre. And I just thought, I was like, man, is this my brother from another mother? <laughs> and so I was just, I was, you were really preaching to me, you know, I felt like closer to Dustin and closer to the Lord as, as I watched your video talking about the evils of oatmeal raisin cookies. Yeah, it really is just the cookie that you settle for. You're just like, again, <laughs> ah, I guess. I mean, if the decision is, oatmeal raisin or no cookie i will have an oatmeal raisin cookie wow okay but if it's oatmeal raisin or no <laughs> or any other type of cookie then i'm i'm probably gonna hit the uh you know probably gonna hit something else it's just it's a very i mean i like you know i'm a grown-up i love oatmeal oatmeal is a big part of my day every day but i don't want it anywhere near my cookie <laughs> I love that you said, though, that if, if your option is no cookie or oatmeal raisin, you still have your dignity. You're still going to eat the cookie. Yeah, I mean. But I'm you're not going to yeah. be happy about it. I mean, just even when you say it, you go oatmeal and raisin. That's a breakfast for 70-year-olds. Do, do we have a prune cookie? A prune. A prune cookie oh, that, while we're Well, here? to me, that's that's called a Fig Newton. I can't handle them. Right. That is true. Where are we on Fig Newtons? I know I, I said there was only one last cookie question, but what's your... I think the world wants to know. I don't even think I've even been in been in the room with a fig cookie in fifteen years. Yeah, it's more like a middle school kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Star Wars when uh, someone just called Obi his name, right? <laughs> What's like? That's a name I haven't heard in a while. That's that's what I feel like right now. Yeah, <laughs> when yeah, you just yeah. said fig, I forgot about Fig Newton. I just remembered if there there exists. Well, that was to me like if if I was going to get in trouble growing up, you know. Uh, would you rather have a spanking, get grounded, or 
or eat a fig newton cookie i'd be like anything but the fig newton like that just to me was <laughs> so well i'll take the belt yeah, i'll take the belt. <laughs> that's so funny and yeah you you've heard of the spare the rod of discipline the rod the rod was always a, a symbolism for a fig yeah. <laughs> and then and now we're getting scriptural I, the figs are all are, no is that the olive tree the figs all over the bible yeah all over the bible there you go so it should be good for you i'm so glad that you could join me today and uh i want to ask you you are a former youth pastor is this correct that is correct and are you still in recovery for that? <laughs> yeah, uh, not as much so as my youth group is, uh, the, the kids that I pastor. So you did some real damage, huh? I, it is funny getting messages from a lot of them of going like, uh, you were a great youth pastor. I can't believe they'll they'll like that came out that listened to the special or the album or saw the clips or whatever and they're like we didn't know you hated us all this time <laughs> and i was like it's not you it's very uh you know there's when i tell certain jokes i'm there's like five of them that i have in mind and the kids that i was actually really close with they're like is it this kid was it him oh, that's and hilarious I'm, like, I, I'm not gonna say yes or no but yes. So the thought that your kids, that you were a youth pastor leading through now their their impressionable years. Now they're watching your Amazon Prime special, right? And uh, which is called Overwhelmed, and it's it takes place in the middle of the pandemic, and yet the jokes far are are way more timeless than just the pandemic, but. But you, I, I was so impressed by it, the way you handled it, just the, your opening. I'm always amazed by, I know I'm going to jump all over the place here, but I'm always amazed by great comics like yourself, like the way you enter into a conversation. It's kind of like when I approach my live show, the music, like the concert has to go somewhere, but it's also got to have a great start. And it's got to feel unique to the room that you're in. And I, I wonder how similar we might be in that. But the way you launched into your set was just like so disarming in the best way. And then it just kept your special kept escalating. I, I just I'm always fascinated by what goes through a comic's mind to create the arc of a comedy show and how that compares or contrasts to how a musician creates the arc of their their music set. I think that I would imagine uh that it's very similar and there is an abruptness to the start of the show that people have different approaches. Some folks, and I know this from, you know, being a huge music guy, some go, we're going to ease into this and others go like, we're just going to just, you know, pound through the abruption of it. We, and, and, you know, if I see, Damien Rice, we're going to ease into it, right, you know, right. and if I see Bon Jovi, we're going to kick start with some fireworks, you know, <laughs> oh, we're halfway yeah. there. exactly. Yeah, no, I watched I watched Bon Jovi once uh, start a show being I have a total uh, like guilty pleasure for all 80s hair bands. Oh, yeah, dude. Big, I watched him once the start of a show get shot out from under stage go what looked like 10 feet in the air and then land like wow. like landed on the ground like a superhero landing with his fist down to 
the opening chord of Living on a Prayer. That's I was like, how did you guys even do that? <laughs> that's that's awesome. how they started the show. That's awesome. <laughs> but I'm not that. What's your approach? Mark Marin is uh, he's a legendary comedian and, and podcaster. And he uh, he talks about in comedy, he goes, you're, uh, I heard him just say this once in passing. He goes, you're just trying to make a connection. And that's what I feel like. I feel like my approach is whatever the room Hmm. energy is. And so pre-show, I'm always just, I'm walking around a lot. I'm kind of just trying to get a feel for who they are, what their vibe is like. And I'm just trying to bring, I'm trying to connect with them on my version of that. So sometimes I'm more high energy. It was Friday night at a club at 8 p.m. I'm probably going to be a little more high energy than normal. Uh, whereas this was in an alley for 30 people. You know? Right. Dur <laughs> like, during the pandemic, right? During the pandemic. Yeah. And they were wearing masks and, you know, it was, and it was just me, you know, I mean, there was a warm up act for like 10, 15 minutes, but it was really, um, everyone kind of knew it was something unique and special. And there was like kind of a tightness in the room that I was like, okay, well, we'll kind of, we'll, we'll ease into this a little more. So, well, Plus, was this your first television special? Yeah, it was my first special. Yeah, I've been on TV a few times, but this was the first special. This is my first time recording a special or an album. So there was, you know, I was tense too. And so, it, you know, that's why you do it twice, right? You do two shows, so you go. Oh, is that what you did? And then you film both and then take? Yeah, you film both and then you take, you kind of mash the two up. Could you tell the difference in your own performance watching performance one and two? Did you feel more at ease the second one or? Uh, yes, the crowd was better the first one, but there were better moments in the second show that so kind of, yeah, they're like the guy that fell asleep was the second show <laughs> and that ended up being, yes, you know, like that ended up being, I mean, a lot of people's highlight of the special yeah absolutely well okay speaking of that how much obviously you come in with your set prepared but i always feel like there's an importance in my show i always try to plan for spontaneity like i'll i'll leave a moment my set will be completely structured but then there may even be a moment here where i just tell the person putting the set list together like just leave this spot here because this is going to be a moment where whatever I've been witnessing in the crowd, whether it's someone with a funny poster or some kid picking their nose or whatever it might be, like letting the show be unique to whatever that city is. How many shows a year do you do usually when there's not a, uh, you know, raging pandemic? About 300. About 300 shows a year? Yeah. Well, no wonder you're awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. They're not, you know, they're not all 45 minutes. They're all, you know, but I'm, I'm on stage about 300 times a year. So do you, then do you have a home or are you, <laughs> why, and if so, why is it Airbnb? Yeah, it's uh it's the Delta lounge in various airports. <laughs> across Seriously, the 300 shows in a year. Yeah, well, you know, comedy is different than music. We have the opportunity to, you know, like this last Saturday I was in LA and I did, two shows or three shows that night or gotcha we can double up take last saturday last saturday i went from the laugh factory in long beach to the laugh factory in hollywood and then went over to the comedy store like okay. i was just you know like and you then can, slept in your own bed at night and then went home yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. San Diego. gotcha yeah, yeah, okay yeah. so there's there's an element of that where you can do two or three a night and and when you're doing comedy clubs 
you there's almost always at least two shows a night. So when you're in a town that you're based in, you'll do your two shows and sometimes in between you'll go do a show and there's a lot of stuff. So, but Nashville, for example, I was in Nashville for 12 days a couple weeks ago and you're doing at least two shows a night. At Zany's? Yeah, I was in Zany. I was at Zany's uh, for opening that whole weekend for Taylor Tomlinson. And then there's just a bunch of little independent rooms and stuff like that, too. So I'm back on July 11th, by the way. You are. Okay, I have to come and see you. Where are you on July 11th? At Zany's. Okay, perfect. I'm actually, I get back that day. I got to come see you live. That is awesome. Okay, so anybody listening to this who's going to be in Nashville on July 11th, you got to come see Dustin. So how much of your set is my jokes are locked and loaded, I'm ready to roll, compared to... I'm going to leave room for for spontaneity to happen like some dude falls asleep or somebody makes a comment, you know, or or do you sometimes do sets where you go up there and and challenge yourself to like full on improv and try I don't know. Yeah, full on crowd work. I've never done that. I've never been like, "Hey, this is only crowd work," you know. A friend of mine told me once like, uh, crowd work is a, a thing that he always keeps in his front pocket. And I feel like that's that's kind of my approach. Like, it's right there. I like doing it. Not a lot of comics like the reality is just like you know, it's just like music. Like, I've labored pretty hard over this material. I've labored pretty hard over. It's very. Hopefully, it doesn't come across this way, but it is very precise. It is very crafted, very honed down to every segue and intro. Again, you don't want it to come across that way. You want it to feel in the moment. Yeah. But then again, like some of the clips that I do are the ones I post, the biggest ones are crowd works and and, 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 and people like that. So I would say that my show is maybe 10, 20% improv, crowd work, customized, not to mention stuff like, you know, you try and I try and start shows with jokes about where I am, you know, so if I'm in Nashville (laughs) I'll talk about Nashville for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'll yeah. call it the basic white girl capital of the world, <laughs> you know. Or your TV special, you made fun of the venue and uh, made a great reference, which which the crowd loved right off the bat. You're, they're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, where Batman's parents got murdered, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, so, I mean, that's what our pandemic was, yeah. you know. What were you doing? I know you were, you stayed busy too, you know, but like pandemic-wise, like that, it was just, we were all just doing yeah. You're like I guess I do this now. I yeah. guess I'm a I guess I'm a Zoom comedian. <laughs> How is that with your now you have a podcast. What's the difference from a comedic standpoint when because a lot of great comics have great podcasts like yours. How does it differ in terms of your delivery on the podcast? What can people expect when they when they listen to your show? Well, the pod is me and my wife. It's called Don't Make Me Come Back There. It was originally, it started as kind of a guest-based podcast. And then during the pandemic, my wife and I started doing them together. And I really liked what it was with me and Melissa because I felt like crowds, and I'm sure you feel this, were getting to see a very different side of me a way that I'm only with my wife, which That's I think cool. is still very funny yeah. and very engaging, but also very different than what I am on stage. That's you cool. know, so it's silly. My act, I talk about 
a lot of different things. I'll talk about culture stuff and society stuff and politics and, and my family, you know, but in that, when it's just us, it's just us. We're just us and our family and dealing with whatever issues a high school boy and a middle school girl and a second grade girl have delivered us this week. So we have a lot of fun doing it. And I think that that comes across. It's called Don't Make Me Come Back There. I love the title. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. So when people listen to it, can they uh, expect uh, valuable parenting advice or <laughs> no 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 they can expect to commiserate and probably feel better about their own parenting well there's great value in both of those things isn't there <laughs> right yeah yeah you're gonna walk away thinking you're a better parent and i can't believe that they did that which oh, is great that's value in your life absolutely i love that so everybody if you if you need a little pick me up today go listen to uh dustin and his wife on don't make me come back they're an awesome podcast i want to rewind just a bit because okay so we started talking about your television special on amazon prime is called overwhelmed you launch into these jokes just roasting the middle school kids that you used to be the youth pastor of. I, and I, it's all in good fun, but I loved the thought that your middle school kids that you used to be the youth pastor of are then hearing these jokes. And I'm curious, I want to go back to what got you into the ministry as a youth leader and youth pastor. Was that your first job out of college? Did you go to college? Tell me, Tell me about your path to that led you to youth pastor pre-comedian life. Right. So it was not my first job. I, I did go to college. So my wife and I, like good Christians, got married very young. We were uh, <laughs> 19. And uh, we were in college at the time. I was at the University of Washington. And I was kind of on the path to be a sports writer. That's what I was studying. That's where I was, you know, doing internships at the Seattle Times, all that kind of stuff. And I had an advisor tell me once he goes, you know, Dustin, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to you're gonna realize that you want to talk about something other than sports. And that really left a mark on me because I was just like, you're right. I mean, I love sports. I'm a huge sports fan, but I don't know if I want to do this forever. Do I just want to just talk about adult games forever? Like, I don't know. And, you know, at the time, I kind of took that as, you know, I wanted to talk about more things. And, and I interpreted that as I wanted to talk about weightier things. And so I, I just, I started an internship at the church I was at. I switched majors to being a religion major. And which, I mean, kind of helped as far as ministry goes. Uh, and, you know, I was just studying about other religions other than Christianity. <laughs> and it just kind of picked up and they ended up hiring me into a youth pastor role and started, you know how it is. It was a big church too. So you would start it, you know, like, you know, okay, you get to be the the middle school intern. Now you get to be the part-time eighth grade leader. You know, it just kind of made its way up through there and ended up working there for seven years. And then that church was a little, a little church in Seattle called Mars Hill Church led by Mark Driscoll. Uh, oh, really? Which, you know, there was some headlines uh, that regarding church. that church. <laughs> that was the church you were a youth pastor at? Yeah, yeah, no for seven way. years. A youth and then a kid's pastor. So That was a mega church. Yeah, we left before everything hit the fan, like years before it. But as we always joke, uh, everything was rising to the fan when we left. And I went there 
And then a friend of mine was starting a church here in San Diego. And he was like, I can't really pay you much. And I was like, listen, we just, we got to go and we'll go down to San Diego. That sounds great. So I ended up working for him for about a year and then left the ministry. As I left ministry, took a day job. And that was almost simultaneously started comedy at that time. One of the questions I ask every guest is around a blue couch. And I say, there's a significance for a blue couch in my personal story. So I call it my blue couch moment, my blue couch story, which was a defining moment in my faith. And, you know, I was a 13 year old kid, preacher's kid at that. That's why I joke about, are you still in recovery for being a youth pastor? Because I joke saying I'm a preacher's kid. I'm still in recovery. And I say that in good fun because I'm super thankful for my mom and my dad. But the life in in ministry can be um, one where there's an expectation of perfection. And sometimes it can, you would think that being surrounded by faith your whole life would lead you to the most genuine uh, personal faith of your own. And at times it can actually be more about focusing on, you know, the outward expression of your faith than what's really going on inside. The blue couch moment for me was a moment where I sat on a blue couch in my living room, turned on the TV and heard a guy named Billy Graham saying all the things I'd heard my parents say a thousand times. But for some reason in that moment, it just became real to me. And I began to realize that God didn't desire just a long distance or family or business relationship with me, but that this was a a very defining moment that could take place where I could decide that he was going to be the author of my story. And so I always love hearing people share, you know, their version of a blue couch moment. What was a moment in their life where their faith became real to them? And it sounds like did you grow up in a Christian home and it sounded like you were involved in church and obviously became a religion major? What was that first moment for you where your faith became important to you? Yeah, I did not grow up in church. I started going around high school. Uh, I got saved like a lot of kids in the 90s on the West Coast at a at a skateboard rally. Uh, That's cool. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. But for me, there's been you know, these, these moments have been, you know, they are reoccurring in a lot of different ways. I do remember those first experiences of going to a youth group. And I had very much, you know, when Jesus says, you will know me by your love for one another. That was the appeal of the faith community that I landed in, of just going, you guys treat each other better. There's a a love here and a kindness that is, is divine that I really, I don't find in my school, I don't find in my home, I don't find, you know, I I had not found it and seen it anywhere else, which the flip side of that is, I think it's why people are so turned off when they see Christians not acting that way. When you're like, this is supposed to be your one thing, like loving others, this is supposed to be your whole thing. This is, you know, uh, this is going to a baseball game and baseball not being played. This is where, you know, you're doing, you put on the uniforms, you know, you got, you brought all the food and the snacks, you got the announcer, but you're not playing baseball. I'm wow. here to see baseball. So yeah, yeah. I think that was a big moment for me. The, as an adult, ironically, leaving ministry was the moment for me and that I had a very, it was important to me to to find my space as a comedian because I think back of those moments, that moment where my advisor said, you know, you want to talk about more than just sports. And part of the appeal to comedy was 
I could also, uh, you know, when you're a pastor, it's, it was your job. I realized I was kind of using ministry to have a platform, which a ton of ministers do, you know, and a ton of artists, Christian artists do. This wasn't out of a overwhelming calling or sense of, you know, or, or need to proclaim the gospel or to shepherd souls. It was, uh, oh, this is a job. And I kind of like talking in front of people and I'm pretty good at it. And, and it's not to say I was terrible at it, but, or that it was all bad motives, you know, but part of the appeal was comedy is I could talk about anything and everything. And, but the, the big moment for me was I was just so tired. And I, and I, I imagine you, you can empathize with this or sympathize with it is, is I just didn't like having to be professionally Christian. I didn't like that if I wasn't sure how old the earth was, that that might affect my job status. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't like having my beliefs tied to like my performance reviews and my job descriptions because, you know, if you're like, ah, I don't know, maybe that, that part is a metaphor. They're like, okay, well, we can't employ you anymore. You're like, well, I don't feel free to think yeah, here man. and wrestle through my faith. Mm-hmm. It's so funny when you what you just said is like there's a chapter in my last book that says hello my name is professional christian. So I think we we share that in common in terms of just the pressure that comes along with it and how at times that can feel inescapable and and like I was saying earlier how that can actually provide such a hurdle towards discovering what it looks like to have a a real and vibrant personal faith in Christ when everything you do when you wake up in the morning is all about preserving and protecting that outward expression of it. So my question for you would be like, did you feel burned out by ministry and by church to the point where in you departing and getting into comedy, was that actually a season that brought you closer in your faith or you know, do you still deal with like some burnout from being in ministry and how that maybe negatively affected your faith? Yeah, I mean, faith, no. Church, yes. But I think that that's common of, of folks in ministry. I think that's just common when you're just the older you get as a Christian. <laughs> you know, we were at church yesterday for Father's Day and, you know, at the end, uh, I mean, it was Sunday. That's why we were at church, but I'm not home a lot of Sundays. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know how it is. Like, there's just a practical element to, to missing church sometimes. But I'm not going through the motions. I actually really enjoyed the, the sermon. And, and then, you know, at the end, the pastor got up and it was after the service. And without going into too much detail, they, you know, started to announce his transition and I know enough about that church to know what was actually happening versus what was said and the tension between the staff and how there's been bickering and da 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 da. And you just, it just, I'm like, I, oh, I, I looked at my wife and I was like, I need you. Hey, could you reach back to the top of my shoulders and grab my eyes? Mm. Cause they rolled, they rolled that far back. Oh, I don't, you, know, like, you just, you just remember that element of it and it's not that i'm anti it's just you kind of go all right i know what's going on here i know i know about budgets i know about staff meetings i know about conflict i know about people have different ideas and missions and agendas and and you know sometimes it's not even 
bad. It's just, but then the presentation of it is something very different than the kind of the controlling of the narrative. And, oh yeah, it's the PR. Yeah. Yeah, and that stuff. I mean, that was just that's the tip of the iceberg for me. You guys, I want to tell you about BetterHelp, but first I want to remind you what the heartbeat of this podcast is, to remind you that your story matters. And no matter how many broken chapters you might find in your story, those chapters don't have to stay broken. And here's something important. They don't have to stay hidden. Listen, we all need some help from time to time, and that's where BetterHelp comes in. If you haven't heard about BetterHelp, I hope that you will check it out. Now, this is what it is. BetterHelp helps you assess your needs and then will match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You get to connect in a safe and private online environment. This is so convenient. You can start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours. Now, this is not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor anytime. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. If you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if that's ever needed. It's more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aid is available. Now, there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. Licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family issues, and the list goes on. Anything you share is confidential. They want to make it convenient. Listen, it's about removing the barriers that are keeping you from reaching the health that you need to have in your life. God has more for you, and sometimes we just need some support around us. You can check out the testimonials that are posted daily on their site. This is not a crisis line. This is a chance for you to get better help. In fact, so many people have been using better help that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a more fulfilling and healthy story today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash MWP. Again, join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MWP. Guys, if you're running a business, HR issues can be a major hassle. I'm talking about wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries. They're not cheap either. An average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager. You can craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. This is a huge help if you're running a business. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Now, it's month-to-month. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance, so get Bambi to help. For the first time ever, Bambi is offering you a free trial at Bambi.com. Dot com slash west spelled b-a-m-b-e-e dot com slash west this is their best offer start your free trial at bambi.com slash west
you've been in you know ministry in and around ministry for much longer than I have and I'm not saying that to say that you're old I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you know that you got to jump start on it with a PK yeah one yeah. of the things that can be a challenge for me and my wife sometimes just the language it can feel stale it also can feel at times patronizing when mm. you're going through real genuine hard stuff and someone just goes like, oh, but what about the gospel? And you're like, okay, I'm not, I wasn't not thinking about Jesus in this. There can just be, or everything happens for a reason. And, and, you know, God is gracious through his discipline and whatever it is. And you go, I understand these things. And these things are here. And they're like a core level that I build up from, but I, they can almost be, maybe it's because we're artists. Maybe it's because we've been in around enough. But there can be a, a cringe factor to me and an, almost a negative reaction to when when to the language. I don't know if that resonates with you at all. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, I think first I have to say, though, like your experience, like showing up at church on Sunday and hearing like, oh, here we go. Like something's going wrong. The pastor's leaving. We're not hearing the full story. I relate in the sense that like, I mean, I saw the way people treated my family as a kid that like were, you know, some of the most devoted churchgoers on the surface and then just out for blood uh, against me and my family. And like, I went to a church in Nashville, 10 years, I was a member. And then all of a sudden I showed up at church one Sunday and they were running this pastor out somewhere. Someone, someone was offended and I, I wanted no part of it. I just, I was like, it does, it brings up a lot of that for me. And so I struggle with that as well. And as far as like the Christianese that you're talking about, it's funny. I, I wrote a line in a song and said, no comfort in a greeting card because God is good, but life's still hard. And I was writing that as a letter to a family whose son had been uh, tragically killed and they shared their story with me. And the last Facebook post their son had made happened to be the lyrics to one of my songs. And I was like, what do you say to a family like that? You know, and I think my dad, I will say like my dad pastored at the same church for almost 40 years, Dustin. And I'll never forget a moment where our neighbor who was always like angry at God and lived next to a preacher. Imagine that. Well, he suffered an unthinkable tragedy in his life and his mother was was killed. It was this awful, awful thing that took place. And I won't go into detail, but my dad was like the first one on the scene. And when my dad walked in the door, the guy saw my dad and like lunged at him and said, where's your God now? Where's your God now? And my dad came home hours later and told me this story and he was just like shaken up. And I was like, I'll never forget. I was like, dad, what did you say? And he's like, I didn't say anything. I just put my arms around him and said, I don't know, but I'm here. And I just thought, man, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. Like the one who doesn't like, doesn't, you know, try to give that flowery Christianese answer, but is okay to explore the human condition while knowing that we are not God. Therefore, we cannot have all of God's answers either. And, you know, it's just not as easy as throwing a scripture at something. Now, we have faith and we believe and we have to know, like, there are there scriptures that I hold on to for dear life, like, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You better believe that I hang on to that scripture. But does somebody need to hear that when they've just lost 
their loved one. You know, there's a time and a place and there's a sensitivity. And so I, I do. I struggle with that. I think uh, another example, Dustin, would be I'll never forget. I wrote a song called Save a Place for Me, and I had written it for my grandmother's memorial service. And radio stations, Christian radio stations, a few of them would not play the song because theologically, I was speaking to somebody who had passed away, and theologically, that did not line up. Right. And I right. just thought right then and there, I made a commitment, and I probably made the commitment long before that, but it reinforced my commitment to, as a songwriter, and, and maybe this relates to you as a comic, I am going to explore the human condition because it's the only condition I know. And the human condition is flawed. And I want to, I made a commitment a long time ago. I'm not going to write songs just about faith. I'm going to write songs about life from the lens of my faith because it's the driving force of my life. And that means that not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to be fluffy and not everything's going to be completely put together. So I think you and I have some common ground in that. And the best we can do is, is reach for authenticity at every turn, knowing that we'll still screw it up sometimes. Yeah, I think that crowds want the same thing from you as God does, which is authenticity. The more that is in your art, and for me, I use that in the loosest term of the sense, art. Whatever. (laughs) I walk that line of art and entertainment real (laughs) close. But I do think that there, um, it's funny, I I tour with a, a comic named Taylor Tomlinson a lot, and Taylor and I started open mics together, and I was talking to her about how, you know, sometimes there's a way that you can come across as vulnerable, but you're not really, you really aren't because you're still controlling the, the narrative and you're, you're only giving them exactly the package that you want. And so it almost like smells of vulnerable, but it's not brave in any way. It's not even particularly authentic. And I think that that's the hard part of going how do I dig one step deeper into what I really, really think on this and how I really feel on this? And then I have to somehow make it funny, <laughs> you know, because that's a requirement in my job. Like I can't, I'm not a poet. I'm not a, a TED talk. I'm not, I'm not a speaker. Like my, you know, what crowds want out of me is funny. That's they want to the laugh. Yeah. And if it's not funny, it's not comedy. You know, it's something else entirely. So, you know, if there's no melody, it's it's not music. And that's the real aim of just like just digging just a little. OK, this is the easiest way to get there. And this is kind of what it looks like. But is it what I really feel and believe? Gosh, and aren't we I mean, we're all guilty of that, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. On any on any given day of just like we're we are our own PR. We're controlling the narrative to the best of our abilities, knowing that there's a God who sees every part of us. And and yet we say, well, God may, but I I sure don't want this person to see that or whatever. Right. But when you do, you know, one of the great, that the guy who falls asleep ended up being a gift because, you know, I have a big chunk on sleep and, and that bit is about uh, sleep anxiety. I don't sleep. And, you know, and it, it kind of led into that bit and what I like about that is there's a relatability factor of people who go, oh, that's me. Every worry that I have in my life hits my mind the second that I try and go to sleep. And that's anxiety. That's, the, you know, that's clinically what that is. And, and so when you can dig that little inch deeper, that now you're connecting 
not with what people say, but with how they feel. That's good. And it's going to be better. Can you feel that in the room, Dustin? Like when you've tapped into that Mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, that's not the entirety of your set and the entire, like, it's like different songs serve different purposes in my set. But to have, when you have a moment like that, where you feel like you've struck a nerve in a healing way, even for people to go, Hey, I'm not alone in that. Wow. This guy's up on stage. He's making me laugh, but he's being honest about his own struggle with anxiety. Do you feel that from the room? And what does that feel like? Yes, you do feel that with the room. And it's when it they're all vibing with it. It's euphoric. I don't even have words to fully describe it. But it is you feel connected to them. You feel as one, you're like kind of groupthink, you know. But there are other times where you just know, this isn't what this crowd is here for. There's so many different settings for stand up comedy. There's so many different varieties of what I do and on July 11th like when or if it's one of my headlining dates the majority of the people are there to see me and that's what they want they want to hear from me but when I'm opening for a bigger act they don't want to necessarily hear about that they don't even know who I am they didn't even know that I was going to be here and I kind of have a different job and a different responsibility so that's where sometimes there's improv happening that they don't even know that I'm going, okay, I sent out this feeler earlier. Like, so I'll, like, for example, I do a joke. It's a real quick joke. I go, uh, you know, my mom left when I was five, uh, which is why I do this. And that's a feeler <laughs> joke. That's like, if they vibe with that idea, I go, okay, we're going to hit more trauma stuff in a little bit. It's like a scout. I send a scout out yeah, ahead. Yeah. And if it misses entirely, I go, okay, you guys don't want any of that. It's a Friday night. It's a two-drink minimum. You know, we're here to have a good time. And I can do that, too. And I can have a lot of fun doing that, too. Well, and even that little joke right there is is a good indication or a good example of what you were just talking about, about, like, kind of digging and being willing to share that part of your story. And I love that you're sending scouts ahead. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get, yeah. Do you guys like this or no? Do you like or dislike the description of like clean comedy versus, you know what I mean? Like I've heard, I don't know how I would describe it, but your comedy's not laced with profanity. Like, are you the minority when you're performing at these venues in that your approach is different? Yes, in that I'm clean. You're absolutely the minority. I mean, your peers know that a lot, but I'm not marketed as that. You know, if you go to the website, if you go to the, you know, whatever, it's not, you know, top clean comedian or anything like that. It's it, That's not in any of the marketing anywhere. You, so your peers know it and some of your, and a lot of your fans know it too. But the, the audience, especially if it's anonymous, like if I'm just like, like when I'm just doing a set at the Laugh Factory the other night, they actually don't even, they don't, because they may or may not know me. I'm just a part of a showcase, which is a, a bigger lineup. And the highest compliment you can get as a clean comic is that people didn't even realize it. Yes, that's what I got when I was watching your show. I'm like, this guy, you know, I feel like I've heard some co- comedians that just, it's the punchline is the vulgarity or the profanity, but yours is just like the way you're communicating real life in a hilarious way like comparing the smell of teenagers to the back of the an back Applebee's. of an Applebee's. <laughs> right yeah yeah 
Oh, yeah. Uh, that one came from being a busboy at Outback. Yeah, like I would just one day I just walked into his room and I was like, you know how you have those familiar yeah, senses? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. remember taking the trash out at Outback and that's what this smelled like. Okay, so then so when you're writing the joke, what makes you change Outback to Applebee's? Applebee's is funnier. It's funnier. Yeah. Why is it funnier? Well, you know what it is right away. Because if I say the back of an Outback, you go, there's a couple First off, the back of an outback is like the rhythm doesn't work. You're a songwriter, dude. It's the same kind of thing. We You're, talk about that f- in comedy a lot. There's a real music to what we do. Oh, you know? dude, I could geek out on that all day long. Like, I'm fascinated to get in your mind like that. When I watch comedy or it, it's some of my favorite stuff of, in my own stuff, you actually, like, I have a joke right now that I'm trying to memorize the music of it before I memorize the words of it because the words. So what it is is a couple weeks ago. I did a gig at Trump's golf course outside of Charlotte, which, wow. you know, I'm, if anyone who follows me knows, like I'm the king of moderate. That's my thing. I make okay. fun of both sides constantly. <laughs> and, but you know, that's, I'm, sure. I'm sinking in. It, it was, it was for Brad Keselowski's checkered flag foundation. He's an NASCAR oh, cool. driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go, I'm getting into a joke about how, why I am a moderate. All right. But I say I'm from Seattle and a guy boos, boos, he just boos. <laughs> of course. Of and I go, course. really? You, you booed a whole city? <laughs> just the, knocked off all the city, all of it, just right there. And I go, uh, Starbucks, Microsoft, <laughs> uh, okay, you know, uh, Nirvana, all of it. And he goes, no way, man. No, I'm, I'm Duncan, Apple, and Metallica. And wow. that's a music joke where you go one, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> like, and so it's good. A, but even now I kind of stumbled on it because I haven't memorized the rhythm of it yet, See? which is, and so I just go around in my car and I'm like, okay, how's it go? It goes Starbucks, Microsoft, Nirvana, Duncan, Apple, Metallica. <laughs> oh, that's so good. See, listeners are getting like inside your head right now and seeing the preparation. It's real nerdy, yeah, which I think maybe makes it less funny no. <laughs> when they realize how nerdy it well, is. Well, but like you said earlier, the key in the delivery, and I have to think about this and be cognizant of it every night when I get on stage, is that that audience is not seeing the 100th show. They're seeing, by and large, the first show and i always encourage my band to treat this like it's the very first time we've done it and you do that to perfection so thank you my friend man this has been so much fun and i could like geek out asking you i want to ask you just two more quick questions one um what does the family think just what's their general thought about your profession the way you think is your family your toughest critic and I realize I just asked you five questions in one, so pick one and go with it. The family's relationship to comedy. Thank uh, you very much. They, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you write the, my questions for my next yeah. guest? <laughs> <laughs> I, my kids do think I'm funny. They don't think my stand-up is funny for the most part. <laughs> As my kids get older, they like the like the somewhat edgier stuff. They're like, oh, dad's got this new bit about going into Victoria's Secret. Ah! <laughs> you know, like that's like the funniest thing in the world to them, you know. I love but, it. you know, at a certain point, you're like, like they think I'm funny, but I have to be their dad, which means I'm going to be mean sometimes. I'm going to be strict sometimes. It's not all silly all the time. My wife has carte blanche. She can cancel any joke out of the act. There's like I wrote this one this a couple of weeks ago about how I can't believe how mean my daughter is to my wife. You know, she's just say these crazy things and I'm just sitting there open mouth like, oh, I have always wanted to talk to her like that. And that like 
that's a joke that I kind of had to like run by Mel. I was like, is that, are we okay with that? She's like, yeah, that's funny. I was like, okay. Uh, okay. But she has cut other jokes. So she's she like, has. that's not true. Or I don't like that. And you know, we don't, I don't want you talking about that. And I was like, that's fine. You know, like the marriage predated comedy and, and will hopefully outlast it. So does she come to the club sometimes? Like if you're sometimes, yeah. Out? yeah, yeah, yeah. She, especially like if she's like, if it's a good show or it's, it's like, great. you know, if I'm, like opening for an act she actually likes or something like that. That's great. Last question. Um, I've got a song on the radio this summer called what if, and the whole message is, you know, reaching the end of our lives with no regrets, no what ifs. And, uh, you know, sometimes that means taking chances or stepping out in faith. And, but I'm curious to talk to people and hear like, what's the biggest no what if thing they've ever done. And I have a feeling I might know the answer. I mean, I've just talked to somebody who's, uh, you know, started out as a youth pastor and I mean, went into comedy and now you're crushing it. But I'm curious, like, what's the biggest, like, no, what if thing you've ever done where you just said, you know what, I'm going for it. And your answer might surprise me or us. I mean, other than this podcast, <laughs> you were scared of this show and you did it. <laughs> No, I was, uh, you're, I, you, you know, the it was stand up. It was always stand. I grew up in love with stand up comedy. I was the Comedy Central era kid where there was just Comedy Central presents every night. I would just go home and I would just memorize these acts and I would love it. And I was just blown away by the simplicity of it. And Dana Carvey says that, right? Every comedian wants to be a rock star and every rock star wants to be a comedian. And I remember when Madonna did a stand up set on, on the tonight show because she just goes like, I can't before she went up. She's like, I can't believe they just go up there. She wanted to try it. There's nothing else. There's no show. <laughs> there's no costume. Yes, yes. There's, you just, you, there's literally just a mic and you just start talking. And it's amazing. It's a very unique kind of presentation in that way. You know, it's, it's unlike other things, but comedy was always like a secret kind of like bucket list thing for me. It's like, Oh, I'm just going to do it. I just want to do one open mic. That's all I want to do. And you know, just so I know that I tried it and then I just, I did it. And then I did it, you know, now I do it three times, 300 times a year. Yeah, now you're <laughs> doing like, it 300 oh. times a year. You got a television special on Amazon prime. I can't, recommend it highly enough go check out overwhelmed uh, by dustin nickerson on amazon prime you've got your podcast where they can get to know your your better half right would you consider your wife your better half absolutely uh don't make me come back there is the name of the podcast uh where else can people find out more about you which social media i mean is it instagram that you point people to or a website all of them. Uh, Instagram, YouTube, you know. Where can they find your tour dates? You can find everything on the website, DustinNickerson.com. That'll take you to the special, the podcast. The You can follow me on TikTok. Do whatever you want. Come on, you Live dude. your life, you know. Uh, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, whatever it may be. Well, we're going to post links to all of the things on uh, the official podcast page. And, uh, man, this has been such a treat, dude. I uh, I think you're hilarious, and I think you're gifted, and I love hearing a little more of the backstory of you know, what's made you turn in this direction in your life. I was just fascinated by that first part of the storyline, like youth pastor, comedian, here we go. That's a great example, though, of something that I didn't talk about before. And now, you know, in that special, I think it's the thing people ask about the most. And that's me being like, okay, this is this is my uniqueness, right? It's here. great. Yeah, yeah, man. And you've challenged me even just this conversation today. Just I mean, I don't know that I expected us to get to some of the having some of these deeper conversations of maybe some uh, common experiences you and I have had in ministry and what we've 
you know, how we've, you know, come through it and, and maybe sharing uh, a determination to find the most authentic versions of ourselves in the way that we communicate to the world. So, man, I'm, uh, I've loved every second of this and I hope uh, to get to meet you in person. Come, I got to come see you in July. I sure would love to do that. Thank you so much for taking the time today, man. It'll, it's going to be awesome. People are going to love this interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a great time. Hey, now it's time for songs from the story house. Today's song from the story house is in honor of Father's Day that was behind us. Now, last week I featured a song called Looking Up, which was an ode to my dad. And this week I want to feature this song. It's a song called The Beautiful Things We Miss. And in its own way, it carries its own no what if message, right? This is a song that I wrote just kind of taking some real inventory of how I interact with the ones I love the most, my wife and my daughters, and just making sure that I'm not missing the moment. So take a listen to a little bit of this song, The Beautiful Things We Miss. She puts on her makeup and the last dress she remembers that turned his head. The time he said, you look beautiful. At six, the front door opens and he doesn't even notice kisses her cheek baby when do we eat i'm starving oh, oh, oh. the beautiful things we miss Now, that first verse is talking about a husband and wife relationship. And as we turn the corner towards this second verse, you'll hear the relationship that uh, I have with my daughters and what my hope is for how I go about making them a priority and making sure that, um, that they know how much their dad loves them and that I'm not chasing other pursuits more than that of being a good dad and a loving father and I don't know. This this verse kind of gives me that ache, like a good ache, like a motivation to say, don't leave any what ifs when it comes to your relationship with your children. So check this out. She hides out in her headphones, texting on her cell phone. Daddy's girl built a world behind her bedroom door. While he was working hard and providing Bigger houses still get divided Just yesterday she was on his shoulders But today she's older, why do we get older? Oh, oh, oh. the beautiful things we miss I actually had the idea for this song while I was on a hike in Colorado, and I was so focused 
on not tripping on this rocky terrain that I had been hiking up. I was so focused looking down to make sure that I didn't fall that there came a moment where I was finally just out of breath and exhausted and I stopped and I looked around and I noticed the most unbelievable scenery around me. Uh, the, the ridges of the mountains, the, the way that the sky looked, the trees, it was just breathtakingly beautiful. And here I was missing it the entire time because my eyes were looking down, making sure that I stayed on the path. I tell you what, sometimes we can get so caught up in the path that we've chosen that we forget the beauty all around us. And, and that's what really made me sit down and turn this into a song about my wife and my daughters and making sure that I know that we get one shot at this and I want to make the most of it. Take a listen to this final portion of the song, the reminder that we don't get any do-overs. Let's make the most of the one life we get when it comes to our relationships with each other. We don't get to rewind. There's no such thing as next time. Help me remember, help me remember We don't get this back They were right when they said don't blink It all goes faster than you think Oh, help me remember, help me remember The beautiful things we miss He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this last segment of every episode is, you know what it's called, Dad Advice. He is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, thanks for joining me. Today's word for Dad Advice is courage and uh, I know you and I have talked about when we think of the word courage, you think about the story of Joshua in the Bible and Moses and God had some good words for both of them. Let's talk about courage today. All right. Moses told Joshua and the children of Israel at the end of his life to be strong and courageous and do not fear. And what do we face a lot today is fear, the battle of, of fear. He goes for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then God comes to speak to Joshua after Moses dies and he says this to Joshua, Joshua, have not I commanded you, be strong and full of courage. Again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. These are great words for us today because it's so easy to be filled with fear. And this past 17 months of the pandemic, it just, uh, uh, you end up thinking about it a lot. But we've come this far, and we've won battle after battle, and here we are again hearing these powerful words so that we can face fears and 
continue to win the battle. So here are three things from these verses. Follow God's command. Do not be afraid. Be brave and courageous. God tells Joshua three times in just nine verses, do not be afraid and to be brave and courageous overall 12 times. We look at fear, feeling of anxiety and fright. We look at the word brave, ready to face and endure danger or pain. We look at the word courage. It is the choice and willingness to confront agony, pain, and uncertainty. That's good. Here's a a good quote, Matthew. Courage doesn't mean you don't get afraid. Courage means you don't let fear stop you. So one, follow God's command. Don't let fear reign in your heart. Two, get into the word and obey the word. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. The words were, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Here's another good quote. God's word is powerful. Fill your heart and mind with his promises. There's no room for God's promises and fear to live together. And then another quote, when fear knocks at your door, don't answer. Reach for your Bible and dive in. And then the third thing, realize that he is with you. You will never be alone. Key verse, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and full of courage. And he goes, I will go with you wherever you go. This is another good quote. God never sends you into a situation alone. God goes before you. He stands beside you. He walks behind you. Whatever the situation you have right now, be confident that God is with you. So what do we need to do? Follow his command, get into his word, and realize God is with you. That's good. God tells us, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. But then he gives us a because. And the because is always enough to keep us strong and courageous because we know that he's going to be with us wherever we go. Thanks, Dad. Thank you, Matthew. Well, my friends, that is our show for today. I want to thank my guest, Dustin Nickerson. Again, highly recommend his Amazon Prime special, Overwhelmed. It's awesome. His podcast called Don't Make Me Come Back There. We're going to post links at the official podcast page, which is matthewwest.com slash podcast. So be sure to check out Dustin Nickerson and catch a show when he comes to a town near yours. It's going to be, uh, you, you won't regret it. He's hilarious. I also want to thank my dad, as always, for joining me and bringing dad advice. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. You know, we are inching closer and closer to over 1 million downloads, and it's all because of you and your support. So thanks for joining me on this journey. Remember, if you need prayer, if you need support, if you need encouragement or counsel or some resources, or if you want to share your story, visit our ministry at popwe.org. That's P-O-P-W-E.org. And remember this, it's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.